0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We're gonna to turn to our launching pad that has been our launching pad, I should say, for the past five weeks and tonight we will conclude our series on God is one conclude our series on God is one amen good to see so many different ones out in the house of the Lord amen we're glad to have Kevin Cruz here with us tonight and the Lord has helped him through his surgery we're so appreciative of that amen seems to be doing pretty well looks pretty well amen so glad that he is here again good to have Jen back home amen being here we're so thankful for her Always good to see her smiling face. That's something you always usually depend upon her for, and that is a smiling face. And so I appreciate that about Jennifer. It's good to have Alexis and Shelby i seen was with her tonight. So good to see them. And, And good to have also Cindy with us tonight. So appreciative of her being here. Amen tonight as well. So we're just thankful. Can we just give them all First Apostolic Church welcome? Amen. And so thankful for them being here with us on a Wednesday night, amen, uh, to show up on a Wednesday night, you, you just get the, the, the blue ribbon award, amen, uh, to do that, that we're so thankful that you're here. Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 4, this has been our launching pad for the past five weeks, we will conclude here uh, this evening, and my, my little spiel was this, uh, concerning the subject matter that we are in And concerning tonight in particular, and that is this, that if there's like some dots that doesn't seem to be, you know, together for you after I get done speaking tonight, part and parcel, you may need the previous four weeks to help make the picture clear, you know, it's kind of like eavesdropping on somebody's conversation. And whenever you just get a portion, you think you know everything that they talked about. But if you had the context of the whole conversation, you would probably have a better understanding, maybe what they were saying in that exact moment. And so please uh, uh, don't, uh, uh, don't, don't go out of here with limited knowledge just because you're getting a fifth of my conversation. It started five weeks ago, and we do have a podcast. And you can find that on iTunes, First Apostolic Church, if you desire to hear the rest of the conversation. Amen. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Uh, Tonight, this has been it. We have used other verses of Scripture like verses 1 through uh, 5 and such. But we're just going to grab verse number 4. The Jews uh, still say this, still yet to this day. Uh, If they can, they want this to be the last thing that passes over their lips before they die. That is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, last week I did it because Brother Mason was still in healing but he is doing so much better. This is our, this is our Hebrew student. He's been studying Hebrew for several years now, and if you would mind, say that for us. In the Hebrew, it is? Amen. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Tonight, I'm going, to, I'm going to entitle this this to put a title or just a placement on it. One God revealed in one person. But we're going to be entertaining the idea tonight that what makes the biblical view of God different than probably, and I say that probably because I don't want to paint with a broad brush tonight, but that probably uh, separates from a greater portion of society, okay? And so we want to look at those differences, not for the purpose of slinging mud or anything of that nature, but with kindness to just show, uh, uh, kind of trace, trace the history of one going all the way back to the beginning of time and using the Old Testament as our platform, and another that really just started a formation after the Bible was even written. That was the propagation more so of a man than it was God. Okay? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you here tonight. I need you, Lord Jesus, this evening. God, let the anointing of your spirit, God, touch us here tonight. I pray, O God mark any error from my lips and from my mind. I pray God as Solomon said Lord to give your servant acceptable words. I pray God for those words this evening. Help me God to handle this. Lord Jesus I pray God with the diligence of the Holy Ghost. God and I pray O oh Lord you're able to help us Lord Jesus in the next few moments as we look at your word in the name of Jesus Christ and I pray amen and amen. The church amen. Amen you may be seated in Jesus name uh, this evening. I want to very quickly go on to Colossians 2, and as, it, as it's been most nights here on Wednesday, it feels like I'm just beating the door down to try to get to a finish line before 8.30, okay? And so we're going to attempt to do that, and if everybody already sees that's an hour and five minutes from now, please don't get nervous. Uh, I'll be mindful, amen, of your bedtime. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 8, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Colossae. And he says, beware, everyone say, beware. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Verse 9, for in him, that is Christ Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so, again, my goal here this evening is not to be unkind by no means, but rather to distinguish some differences between what the word of God says and what we've been looking at for the past five weeks, the teaching of the oneness of God from the Old Testament. Again, there are about 3000 plus scriptures in the Old Testament that attest to the oneness of of God alone just in the Old Testament and so to distinguish some differences tonight between what the Bible teaches and from what has been developed and I I choose my words uh, carefully tonight through what has been developed historically over time into a tradition of man. Colossians plainly admonishes us to beware of being taken by among the things philosophy the but also the tradition of men. And especially, as we look at verse 9 and read the whole context, especially when it concerns the Godhead, in the context of the Godhead. Uh, and, 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 and what we're going to do here tonight, and I, tried, I, know, I know if I don't get going, I'm not going to get finished, right? But uh, nevertheless, what we're going to try to do here tonight is explain or give a little bit of grounds to you about what the doctrine of the Trinity is and how that doctrine has been developed historically over time and throughout time after the Bible has been composed, after the last writer is put pen to page. That developed after that point in time. And so we're going to try to look at that, but then look at, if you will, the biblical standpoint of the oneness of God that finds its origin from before the beginning of time. All right, and has followed through Scripture from the Old Testament all the way up into the New Testament and beyond. And so if you look, if you look, you you will probably not see this every day in an apostolic Pentecostal church. But if you were to take your phones right now or your iPads and you look up and uh, Google the Trinitarian Shield, this is what you would find. The Trinitarian Shield. The Trinitarian Shield To to bring some enlightenment uh, to you for this, is their belief that God is one, but God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. Now, each of these, the Father, Son, and Spirit, each of these is a person. All right? Ditto, ditto. Each of these is a person. According to their shield, however, the Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. This is not not my diagram. This is uh, the Trinitarian doctrine diagram. And so they believe one God in three persons, all right? One God in three persons, but neither the Father, the Son, or the Spirit, none of them are each other, all right? In this, they believe that these three persons, the father, the son and the spirit are co-equal, co-eternal and co-consubstantial, which means they're all of the same substance. So the doctrine of the Trinity belief is there's one God in three persons or one three persons in one substance. They state it both ways. That these three persons, and I I state this directly, that these three persons are distinction in God's very being, not simply manifestations or distinctions of activity. There is in the divine being but one indivisible essence, and in this one divine being there are three persons or individual subsistences, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, orthodox Trinitarian doctrine holds that there are three divine Persons who are co-equal, meaning they're co-equal in their power and in their attributes, that they are co-eternal, meaning they all three are in the past and in the present and in the future, all three of them, and that they are consubstantial. That is, each person has the same divine substance or essence. It's all fully contained. Now, some of you, based upon just putting this before you, will already start thinking about the past four weeks and start doing some correlations in your own mind and what we've taught concerning God's word, uh, concerning the idea of God being one. Now, I, I, I got to move, but we want I want to, uh, I want to imp, not impress you, but I want you to understand that the doctrine of the Trinity is something that has not been from time of before time, but it is something that has developed over time. Something that's developed over time. Right after the last apostle would have died, which had been John, the writer of the book of Revelation, somewhere around 90 A.D., somewhere after the time that John the Revelator has passed, the last apostle of the 12, the last disciple of the 12, uh, there is a period of time known as the post-apostolic writers or the post-apostolic age. That goes from 90 to around 140 A.D., Uh, Mind you, whenever you read the book of Revelation, Revelation is right around in that 90, 92, 93 A.D. writing time frame. And so this is all after even the scriptures have been recorded and written. It's the post-apostolic age. And just to tell you this, we want to look at just a little bit, what did the post-apostolic people or that age believe? What did they endorse? What did they look at? There are several different people you could read just to give you some of their names. Clement, Ignatius, Polycarp, Hermans. These are writers of the post-apostolic age. But it was during this time that if you were to read the writings of these individuals, you'll come to find out that they were majorly monotheistic, which meant they believed in one God. They were majorly monotheistic. But it's not just that they were monotheistic, that they believed in one God. But there is no mention in the writings of Trinity. Trinity. For that matter, there is no reference in the writings of that one God being in three persons. But they speak of one God, and they speak that Jesus Christ was God incarnate, which is, again, a fancy way of saying in flesh. Now, that sounds really similar to what the Bible teaches us. And and just for those of not, I, I feel like, Necessity is laid up on me tonight to say this because I'm trying to have people that's not been here except for this one. And so please, all those that have been here, forgive me. But whenever we look at the word of the Lord, we know that God as father. And whenever we speak according to the word of God, whenever we speak, even this church, whenever we speak of father, son and Holy Ghost, we're not speaking in terms of persons. We're speaking in terms of relationships. We're speaking in terms of operations but not in terms of persons because God as father was a spirit. We know that according to God's word in John four twenty 24. All right. God is a spirit. However, whenever we get to the son of God. That being. Jesus Christ. All right. And again, uh, for all those that may have not been here other times, uh, I challenge you that that might be a strong word. I implore you. Try to find in your Bibles the phrase, God, the son. God, the son. All right. Because to my understanding from Genesis Revelation, I've read the Bible through several times. There is no phraseology. God, the son. It's always son of God. But Jesus Christ is this speaking of God incarnate or God in flesh. It was that spirit. God, you've seen me do this thousand times. Plus flesh just for purposes equals JC Jesus Christ God who was spirit took on a body took on flesh and they knew him as Jesus Christ God and that's a relationship him coming down as the son he was our son of redemption it took a body in order for mankind to be redeemed because it took blood the Bible says without in Hebrews without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins Each of us, from the very point of time of Adam and Ford, we are all born into sin. Romans said, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. Every individual that's born of a woman nowadays, they're born into sin, so we got a sin problem right off. And Isaiah 59, 2 says, sin separates us from our God. So we needed something to cure that. In order to cure that, we needed blood, because without blood, there is no remission, no removal of sins. So we needed blood, but in order for there to be blood... Spirit don't have blood, but a body has blood. So God made himself a body because it was going to require blood in order to take care of the sin problem so mankind could come one again with God. All right? And so, so we're talking about a relationship there. And so when we talk about God, God as spirit, Holy Spirit, if you want to even call it Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, we talk about that. That, once again, is just God. Some people might call it the spirit of Christ because here's the spirit side of Christ, all right? Here's the human side of Christ. Christ had two natures. He was divine and he was human. But when we talk about being God in the spirit side, Jesus said in John 14, I, I'm not going to go away and send you comfortless. I will come unto you. When he came to them on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Ghost filled all the house where they were sitting in Acts 2, it wasn't him in a flesh form, but it was him in spirit form, God. And so what we have as father, son, and spirit are not three individual distinct persons, but we have one spirit that Ephesians 4 4 tells us there's one spirit. We have one spirit that is declared as God Who was the father of creation because it made all things. It even made us. But he came down in another relationship and came into a body. And we knew him as the son of God. And that body supplied the blood to take care of our sin problem. But whenever he went away, he came to us again as God in that spirit form. And Jesus said, I have been with you. And he had been as a man. He said, but soon I shall be in you. Not that his flesh was inside the flesh of us, but that the same spirit that indwelt him would indwell us. Okay? And so I felt like I need to give a little, just, you know, uh, platform here. So, so whenever we're talking about the post-apostolic age, apostolic, I didn't spell that right. The post-apostolic age, whenever we're talking about that, These were people that still believed one God, that Jesus Christ was God incarnate. That's what we have right here. God in the flesh. All right. They also, they also, if you read those writers, they speak about the father aspect of Jesus Christ as being his deity or the divine side, the spirit side. They talk then about the human, the human side of Jesus Christ being that son of God aspect, the flesh. We could talk about that a little bit, too, if I may, just for a clarification. This, the son of God aspect of Jesus Christ is that the son of God was the flesh. And that flesh was begotten. It had it had a beginning, which means it wasn't eternal. That there was an eternal son of God. Galatians four and four says that that, that son of God, which was made of a woman. I believe it is Luke 1, 35 or 39. I think it's 35 that talks about how that thing that Mary had was made then of of her. We read in John 3 that that. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So here's a woman bearing something. Well, it's going to be a flesh. That son of God is a fleshly thing. And so whenever they of the post-apostolic age, after the last disciple and apostle had died, they are still talking about Jesus Christ, father and son aspects or relationships. One speaking of his deity, which he was, and the other side speaking of his humanity, which he was. Is that hard to believe? No, we have said in weeks gone by, This is how Jesus Christ can say that he is the seed of David because he is on his human side, his mama's side, he's the seed of David. But on another aspect, amen, he talks about he is the root of David. Now, how can this man be the root of David whenever he is younger? David's come and went by the time he showed up because on the divine side, deity, he has forever been. Amen. And so there's that that dual nature of Christ. On one moment, he's asleep on the boat. The next moment, he's going to the helm of the ship and he's commanding the winds in his hand. He's asleep as a man, but when he gets up and commands the winds, he's operating as God man. He tells the Jews, here we go again. He tells the Jews, they say to him, Jesus Christ, you're not even above 50 years old. How could Abraham rejoice to see your day? He says, Because before Abraham was, I am. Now, as a man, he wasn't yet 50 years old. But as the eternal God who indwelt that man, he was the ancient of days. He has no beginning or ending. He's the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. He's the Almighty. He's from everlasting to everlasting like David said. Okay, we are not going to get anywhere if I don't move on. And so these people of this time believe that God's spirit was, was revealed to them through his son. Absolutely. No man, my Bible tells me, you read the scriptures, no man had seen God at any time. Well, God is a spirit. That makes sense. Right? But they're saying these people believe that God's spirit was revealed through their son, through his son. Absolutely. Because whenever that spirit took on flesh. Huh? And as Colossians 2.9 says, in him, Jesus Christ, dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Something that they'd never seen before got some flesh on it. And there's a revelation of the full essence of who and what God was revealed in the man Christ Jesus. And so it's like, boom, yeah, he did. Many of these writers even identify. Now, here, 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 here we are. We're talking about the doctrine of the Trinity was a development. Let me state up here in case anybody gets a false perception. I do not purport or believe the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? I'm teaching this so we know distinctions here. I do not believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. Here's where someone could take a picture, put it on Facebook, and say, they're over at that church, they're speaking. (laughs) Whatever. I I do not believe the doctrine of the Trinity. I do not believe one God in three persons. I believe one God who manifested himself in different relationships for mankind. Amen. All right. Here's the thing, though. Here's how you know that this thing developed over time. During the post-apostolic age, that 90 to 140 AD, they believed many of the writers that you read, Clement, Ignatius, some of these, whenever you read them, they identified Jesus, who you would say is the Son of God. They identified Jesus as the Holy Spirit or even as the father. Now, according according to our modern doctrine of the Trinity, the son can't be the Holy Spirit. The son can't be the father. But in that age, they were saying he was. Why? Because they hold the same belief that I hold concerning what the Bible says about itself. That God was the father in creation, came down as the son for redemption of mankind. And he is then the Holy Spirit of resurrection or regeneration for our own lives. Same God. Same God. Amen. That played in different functions or different relationships. So I can quite easily say that the Father and the Son, they are the same. Or that the Son and the Spirit are the same. Because there is a common denominator through all of these. You know what it is? It is God. It's God. Amen. Amen. We'll get into this just a little bit more. And so they often use also the Spirit and the Son. They use those two terminologies. They use them interchangeably. You wouldn't do that by today's modern standards of the doctrine of the Trinity. You wouldn't do that. So if we go on just a little bit, there is another age. I'm going to wear the little hinges out on this board probably tonight. Amen. The next age, and it, they started around 330. They, they give a little overlap there. Uh, to to uh, They give overlap for, for reason and purpose, uh, meaning that, there was influence, you know, for years before it went on and was passed to the next age. This is the Greek apologist, Greek apologist age. So we're further removed from the last disciple that, that died. We're further removed from the last disciple who died. Uh, people that wrote during this time was like Flavius Justinus, uh, Aristides. I know. I know everybody's going to go to their public library and pick out books of these people and read. Yep, Sister Rhonda was writing them down. I know she was going to. But these people, Greek apologists, they are writing during a time whenever Greek philosophy is very heightened. Greek philosophy is very heightened. And they are writing in defense of Christianity. All right? I, I don't have a lot of scripture up here tonight because I'm just going through history. Here. Okay. History, historical development of the doctrine of the Trinity. They wrote the, the, for the defense of Christianity mostly in the Greek language, to non-Christian people. And what they were doing was this. When you read of the writings, what they were doing was this. They were striving to make Christianity, are you listening, acceptable to their pagan friends. So what they're trying to do, they want to take this belief of Christianity and make it, could I even say, appealing. To their pagan friends, to people who served a multiplicity of gods, To people who, according to today and back in that day, were heretics. Trying to make it acceptable for them. And so as a result of that, they're dealing with a lot of people that's caught up in the Greek philosophy time of life and ideas. And so they're trying, here's what they're attempting to do. They're trying to blend the Christian belief with the Greek philosophical beliefs. They're trying to do a blending of the two. Amen. And so whenever you do that, something, there's a give and take in that. Anytime there's a compromise, there's a give and there's a take. You release some things, you say, well, I'll bow to that. Or, you know what I'm saying? It's not that you can keep all of your land. And so when they started to blend to the two, there's a tainting, if you will, of the original biblical doctrine because they're trying to make it acceptable to their pagan contemporaries. And so whenever we get to this age, 130 to 180, what you start to read in the writings is this. This is just historical. This is not the canon of scripture. This is not nothing that's been inspired. This is all just the writings of men. They emphasize God in this age, emphasize God as a plurality of numbers. Whenever they speak of God as a plurality of number, they speak of him as gods, persons, beings, entities, individuals. As a matter of fact, uh, Flavius Justinus, we'll just call him Justin, as many oft do, he taught that the son that we know according to God's word, also the word John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. That the word he taught that the son or the word was another God. was another God. And that he was numerically distinct from the creator or God operating as father. So what he is proposing is we have two persons. We have God the father and we have God the son who is another God. He wasn't saying that he was the same God that was in the man Christ Jesus. No, he said we have a whole other God. And so he's speaking about two gods. As a matter of fact, he stated that Jesus Christ was subordinate to the Father. Now that's interesting because according to modern day doctrine of Trinity, they are co-equal. But see, what's happening is a development that's taking place through time. People are messing with their, 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 their thoughts and processes. They're writing. They're trying to make uh, uh, compromises and trying to give some give and take going on. But what, you know what's going on? Are you listening to me? What is taking place? They're trying to find a page everybody can land on. Trying to find a page that everybody can land on. And so in the process of doing that, he said, well, you know, Jesus Christ is subordinate to the Father, kind of like a a God junior. Again, he's calling the Son another God. So in his mind, we have God the Father and God the Son, but God the Son is subordinate to God the Father, so he's almost like a God junior. He's a God, but he's not on the same level as God the Father. Is everybody all right? Okay, okay. And so as as continue to read concerning this, then whenever he spoke concerning the word... He said, the word is not eternal and it's not equal to the father. So this is some of the things that Justin purported. Now, here's what they did not believe during this time frame. I'm going to wear this out. If it falls on the floor, we'll go on. Amen. What they did not believe, they did not believe that the father and the son, they did not believe, this is back then, did not believe that the father and the son were co-equal, co-eternal, or consubstantial, which is totally different than what they believe today. But see, it's in development mode. They wrote all of these things, again, for the purpose of their pagan contemporaries or their friends. Now, whenever we're talking about this in that middle age of the the Greek apologists, during this time, they're struggling a lot with God the Father and God the Son, and if there's two gods or how all this is expressed. But there's not even much attention given to the spirit aspect of God at all. During this time, as a matter of fact, some of them identified the spirit as being with the fathers, with the father and others identified the spirit as being with the word. But in either case, is everybody doing okay? In either case, they said it was an impersonal force. And whenever they seen the spirit as clearly different from with the father or with the word. They said, well, the spirit must then be a divine being of lesser rank than the sun. It must be like an angel. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, what in the world are you talking about, Brother McGee? And I'm saying, yeah. Because there's something that's trying to be developed by men. To make something platable to uh, every other individual of their time and of their spirit. Now. Whenever things were all said and done before that age was up, before the Greek uh, apologists age was up, Justin used a compromise. You're listening to me. Justin uses a compromise. They performed baptisms, the baptism, the baptism formula. They, they used the father, son, Holy Ghost, but they included the name of Jesus all the way back then in the Greek apologists. What is he doing? Because for those that had a multiplicity of gods and those that believed one God, we can somehow gather them and pull them all in together if we use the formula like this. I have seen the same thing, not in the Greek apologists' day, but even in our day today. And you know what? The motive is not any different. Now, going on, going on, 170. All right. Again, that overlap the 325 A.D. We have this other segment of time. It's called this. So don't don't put too much bearing upon the words, but it's called the Old Catholic Age. And just to give you an idea, the real meaning of the word the word, the meaning the literal meaning of the word Catholic is universal. So the Old Universal Age. All right. Some of the people that wrote during that time, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Origen, all these pleas. Now, it is during this age. Now, look, 90 right there. Apostle John passes away. These years, these years, these years. We're talking about by 325 when we get to 381. We're almost talking about 300 years of time since all of that happens. It's in this last stage that the phrase God, one God in three persons is coined during this age right here. First time you ever see that used. Tertullian, who wrote during that time, coined the word Trinity itself. Again, just implore you, start in Genesis, go to Revelations, and find the oldest, oldest translation of the Bible you can. I know King James 16 and 11, 16 and 12, but find even older, get Septuagint, whatever, go a little older, and you will never find the word Trinity in the Bible. Again, it wasn't a divine inspired word. It was a man inspired word. Tertullian coined the word Trinity and the idea that there were personalities in the Godhead. Tertullian argued for two gods, and this is his words. I quote, are you listening to me? He argued for two gods, and this is Tertullian's own words. He said, In that day, most common people would not accept my teaching. origin another gentleman who wrote during this time he's responsible for the idea of that eternal son aspect that there is a eternal son they believed during this time frame that both the word and the spirit was subordinate to the father again that kind of goes against to the modern day idea of the doctrine of the trinity that they're supposed to be co-equal but see we're in development mode we're kind of you know just trying to get it just right so to speak amen But they finally came to agreement in that last age, the old Catholic age, they finally came to an agreement that there are three persons of the same substance or that there are three persons and there is one God. But they said, neither the son nor the spirit. This is what they said in the age that neither the son or neither the son nor is the spirit co-equal again. That goes totally against the modern claim that they have today. All right. Some saw at this stage of the old Catholic era that the Holy Spirit as a third person, some seen it as a third person, while others rejected the idea that that was possible. So you see, you see the problem that we have here that starts whenever we man tries to develop something that's applicable for all mankind, huh? The, our scripture says, our Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. He stands upon the truth of his own word. So it's in this age, then, of Tertullian and Origen that they eliminate the name, Jesus Christ, that is, altogether in their baptism and formula and just keep the titles Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That brings us then at the end of that age, you'll notice 325 AD, that brings us to 325 AD to the famous Council of Nicaea that took place. Constantine, as emperor, was presiding on this particular council as a honorary officer. There was about 200 to 300 delegates that were gathered together for this council, although some of the Gellets had an entourage of people with them. It kind of, you know, exclaimed their importance. They had thousands of people uh, that were with them. The council lasted for about six weeks, and it's in this council that they were discussing that the logos or the word that we have spoken of was thought to be a separate person. Now, it was during this council that two, well, one was a deacon, one was like a presbyter. There were two that got into a fist fight. This is your history. Two of them got into a fist fight over who thought who was right about certain tenets of what they were construing here. They got into a fist fight. And so finally, Constantine came up and said, well, if you do not comply with what we are purporting here today, this is history. You can read it in history books. But if you do not comply with what we are putting forth today, you will be banished. Now, what type of pressure do you think that puts upon the people that's in your reign and control, that if you do not comply, you're going to be banished? So you got a choice. Just say what they are saying is true and go along with it or reject it and be banished." I would like to say that we're all just as bold as we think we are bold, But when given the verdict of being banished or just accepting what they're purporting as truth, how would we fall? Is everyone doing all right? Amen. And so they rejected the Logos or the word they rejected or the eternal son. They rejected that it was created and that And it was non-eternal with the father. And they felt that that son had the same substance as the father, just some of the things that they believe. And so whenever we start to think about this, you know, there's a little bit of a victory here for the deity of Jesus Christ because they believe that there there is a spiritual side to Jesus Christ, that there is a divine side to Jesus Christ. So that's great. But here's what they are. They are worried about, they're constantly worried about whether Jesus, as he relates to the Father, whether he is co-equal or co-created. They're still struggling with this at this time. And so they still didn't deal with the placement of the Spirit. Feel sorry for that relationship and function of the Spirit. And they just weren't really dealing with that at this time. And so when it all comes down to it, this is interesting to me. I quote this directly out of a Oneness and Trinity book by David Bernard. He said, in the latter Athanasia, which is one of the men that got in the fist fight, and Arania had a controversy that culminated at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. Said both sides appealed to Origen's writings. Remember, Origen is back here in the old Catholic old Catholic universe here, or universal time. They both used him to argue both sides. Look at this. They went to Origen's writings. Athanasia's siding was his doctrine of eternal generation, which had implied the equality of substance in the Father and the Son. But the Iranians cited his doctrine of subordination, which implied a difference of substance. In other words, they both used the same man's writings to argue two different things. Now, if that tells me anything, that tells me how crazy, and I hate to use the word, messed up origin was. Because he evidently was speaking out both sides of his mouth, so to speak. Everybody okay? So it was at 325 AD that most people may be sitting here uh, go to, well, the baptism formula, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, was brought into the picture. You can read it in your history books. But that whole formula being brought into the picture, again, was politically motivated. There's two factions of people that were here at the Council of Nicaea Again, those that worship multiple gods and those that worshiped one god. So how can we politically, if I'm Constantine the emperor, how can I bring my people together and not cause a division, not lose part of my people in my political structure here? How? Compromise. I'll give them what they want and give them what they want and everybody's happy and I got myself a kingdom. Mm, right? And so he goes on and he strikes his compromise, no loss from either side socially or politically. And then there is the 381. I know, I'm not getting through. I, it might take one more Wednesday. I don't know. 381 AD is the Council of Constantinople. And it's here really really. I know we look at the baptism here, but they still really didn't know what to do with the spirit back here. Here 381, the council of Constantinople, that the first true created creed of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit language as three persons, even that they were co-equal, co-eternal, and consubstantial actually took place. 381. And again, think with me, folks, that That has been developed because you've seen that change from here to here, what they thought from here to here, you know, little nuances of what they thought until finally they come, I'll call it to an agreement in 381, about 300 years past the writing of the Bible. 300 years after the the, the last apostolic or apostle disciple died, they come with this idea of the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, what I've been teaching you for the past five weeks concerning the Bible goes back beyond 325 and 381 A.D. It goes all the way back to the first verse in the book of your Bible, and it even predates that because it's God to begin with. It predates all of that. And so they finally get a full working of the Trinity there in 381, the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, here's some things I want you to go. I'm going to try to go through these quick. We're doing okay? We're doing okay. I got some time, and it's not been too long yet. Yet. Think about this. Think about what the doctrine of the Trinity proposes for the modern-day age. As far as I know, they haven't made, like, tweaks to this since then, okay? (laughs) But uh, this is what it is. Now, consider some of these things. Daniel chapter number 7 and verse number 13 and 14. The Bible states these words. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions... And behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. We have the Son of Man that would be known as Jesus Christ. He's seeing this in the vision. Coming unto the Ancient of Days that would be known as God who has no beginning. The Ancient of Days. God the Father, if you want to call it that. And they brought him near before him. Verse 14. And there was given him dominion. So if we're looking at this through the eyes of a Trinitarian doctrine, we have God the Son and God the Father as two persons in a meeting, and one is giving to the other dominion and glory. And a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. So I ask you this question, and a lot of these are, will be our rhetorical tonight for you to think, but I ask you this question. How can God the Son as the second person come to God the Father as the first person in the Trinitarian doctrine and receive dominion and glory when they are co-equal and consubstantial of the same substance? just want you to think. How can that happen? In Philippians 2 and verse number 10, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things. Everybody say in heaven and of things everybody say in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God, the father. Let me ask you, who or what do you believe is in heaven at this particular time? Is God the father in heaven? Is God the spirit in heaven? Are they on the earth? Nevertheless, the Bible says that every knee of things in heaven and in earth or under the earth are going to bow to Jesus Christ. So are they going to bow their their knee to the name of God the Son? And if they are indeed co-equal, as the doctrine of the Trinity proposes, and consubstantial, why are they doing that? Why are they bowing to something that they are on equal footing with? Just want you to think if that's the way it is. See, I'm not at the proponent that that is. Furthermore, verse number 9 says in Philippians 2, 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, him speaking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. The the, the phrase highly exalted him literally in the Greek is God also hath exalted him higher than ever before. This is not me. Listen to me. This is not me. James Dunn, a notable Baptist minister said this. He said if he's been exalted higher than ever before, then he's no longer co-equal. That's a Trinitarian that said that. John 14, verse number seven, Jesus is speaking to Philip. We've looked at this already in the past few weeks, but we're going to look through it for the purpose of thinking through it. Okay? The Bible says, If ye had known me, Jesus speaking, if ye have known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, He's speaking to Jesus, the Son of God Lord, shew us the Father. And it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that have seen me, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, have seen the Father. Thou sayest, How sayest thou then? Shew us the Father. In other words, Jesus, the Son of God, says to Philip, Have I, Jesus, the Son of God, been so long time with you, Philip? And Philip asked what? Father? He asking for the Father. He says, Jesus says, you've seen the Son, or you've seen me, you've seen Jesus Christ, and when you've seen Jesus Christ, or if you've seen the Son of God, you've seen the Father, as it's related in the Greek, the very Father. Well, what is that? Jesus is not the Son, or the Son is not the Father? The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. Right here, Jesus himself saying, if you've seen me, I'm the Son of God, you've seen the Father. Now, who, who are we to believe? Something that's been developed over time historically by men or something that Jesus even gave testament to himself straight from the word of the Lord? I'm not needing to answer tonight. I want you to wrestle tonight. All right? So, Because if we would look at this diagram, the Son is the Father, according to the Trinitarian doctrine, they would say, no, that's incorrect. Jesus says, it's absolutely correct that if you have seen me, the Son of God, I am the Father. You've seen me, you've seen Him. So, let me ask you this. Is everybody doing okay? All right? Again, this is just for us tonight showing the distinctions of the beliefs. Okay? That is, that is my only goal or purpose. Showing the distinctions of the beliefs. Let me ask you this. What is co-equal about one of the persons, if this is the way it is, what is co-equal about one of the persons of the Trinity, namely God the Son, as they would state it, dying? If they are indeed co-equal, then why didn't all three supposed persons of the trinity die for lost humanity the bible says when we think upon these you could look at genesis 126 you can think upon that verse as i talked to you tonight the verse that a lot of times falls into the hands of controversy and we've looked at it Uh, In this series, and invite you to go back and listen to the podcast. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So while thinking on Genesis 126, where God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. What then? Because, again, we don't want to take an isolated thing of Scripture. We want to take the totality of Scripture. Scripture is not going to injure itself. Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture, this is all God's word. All right. Uh, But whenever we think about this then we must ask ourselves: then what are the meaning of the words myself and alone that's found in Isaiah 44:24? 24? The Bible says in Isaiah 44:24, 24, thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer and he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that make of all things. Talking about the very same creator that spoke, let there be light and there was light, had the beast of the field, the fowl of the air and even the making of mankind in Genesis 1, 26. He said, I make all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone. That spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. See, this is what happens when we take Scripture with Scripture. Scripture brings clarity to other Scriptures. Because whenever I read that, then I must not be contending with a plurality of persons in 26 because it's alone and by myself. All right? Is that all right? right? If you go back to our uh, lesson on one God, many attributes that will give the clarification to Genesis one twenty six. I do not have the time to re re explain that. But let me ask you this question with all these things in mind. Is it possible to be by yourself and alone and yet have someone else with you at the same time? trinitarian doctors, doctrine says they say that Jesus was there with God the father as a separate person or personality but Isaiah forty four twenty four 24 and other verses of scripture beyond that one says he said I did it alone and by myself what we purport according to the word of the Lord is that Jesus was there only as the mere thought and plan of God remember John 1 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word logos means something said including the thought remember Uh uh-huh and so that's how Jesus Christ can be as revelation says the lamb slain from the foundation of the world because before man was ever created God already had on his mind a plan for the redemption of mankind that he knew was would god who is eternal that's not bound by time past present and future is ever before him so in the eternity of god christ had already been born had already died and had already resurrected uh-huh. and so he was there as the mere thought and plan of god that word was with god that word was god try to separate your thoughts for They're here with me. They are me. My thoughts is the way in which I illustrate and reveal myself to you. Amen. All right, we got to go on. Everybody all right? Say amen. Since Scripture says, I believe it is in Colossians, that Jesus was the firstborn of every creature, was he born before Adam? Trinity doctrine will tell you, yes, he was born before Adam. My question then is, if he was born before Adam, then who was his mother? He is the firstborn of every creature according to God's word. Again, because as a thought and a plan, he was that lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And again, God operates in eternity. And he already seen the whole plan unfold before ever unfolded. The Bible says, are we going on? I got to hurry. Everybody doing okay? Is everybody with me? Hmm? Don't want to leave anybody in the dust. I'll knock my shoes off. John 14 and verse 45, Jesus is speaking. Jesus is speaking. And he says, and he that hath seen me, Jesus Christ, the son of God, seeth him that sent me. The one that supposedly sent him was this father relationship robe. So if he's saying this to the disciples, he that has seen me, the son, have seen him, the father that sent me. When the disciples are hearing this, and when the disciples, I'm stating this in, in doctrine of Trinity language. When the disciples saw both the father and the son there, how many persons of the Godhead did they see? He says, you see the father and you see the son. So did they see two, two persons or did they see one person, Jesus Christ? Who was God, the father of creation, that was incarnate and fleshed in the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. People thinking, and I don't see no smoke going quite yet. John 14, verse 28. John 14, verse 28, Jesus speaking again. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the father for my father is greater than I hmm. Jesus says for my father is greater than I again back to this co-equal idea how can one person of the Godhead be equal with another person of the Godhead and yet still be greater than that same person just pardon everybody all right I'll skip some stuff and we'll go on amen Luke 12 verse 10 just want to make you think And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, which the Son of Man is referencing here, is the same one who was the Son of God, all right, Son of Man, Son of God, Jesus. Whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man or the Son of God, Jesus, it shall be forgiven him. But unto whom that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. So Son of Man blasphemed, it's okay. You blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, it's not okay. But if the Son and the Spirit are co-equal, then why does one get off the hook and one doesn't? The son of man, son of God, we're talking about is just a humanity fleshly part of Jesus Christ. You can speak up against the flesh all you want, but you can't speak against the spirit. Everybody doing all right? Amen. Isaiah 9 and 6. This is good for this. Right? You got it up there for me? This is a beloved verse, especially around time. For unto us a child is born. I believe we had all come into agreement, whether doctrine of Trinity or... This biblical side, that the son that is being alluded to here is Jesus Christ. That unto us a son is a child is born unto us a son. Everybody say son. Son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Everybody say the mighty God. Great. There you go. God manifested in the flesh, the everlasting. The father is not the son. That son that was given in Bethlehem's manger, the everlasting father, we have problems. So let me tell you this. This is for that we get on the same page because I think sometimes um, people think that the nuances or the differences between the doctrine of the Trinity and that which is illustrated in God's word are just in. Eh, no big deal. But they are. They are a big deal. And so here's something that you cannot do. Listen to me. here's something you cannot do. If you want to talk to a man that follows the doctrine of the Trinity, you can't show them any verses about Jesus being God. They believe that Jesus was God. Yeah. God is the son or the son is God. They believe that. All right. They teach the same. If you say you're a oneness, they may possibly say that they are oneness as well. They believe in one God in three persons. A prime example this week was a question that someone submitted to me trying to verify whether or not some curriculum was theologically sound. And so I began to read their belief statement and quote, it said, we believe that there is one triune God eternally existent. I'm going along in the persons. Whenever you hit that, that is doctrine of the Trinity. Persons of father, son, and Holy Spirit, if they said that was it was existent in the operations or the functions or relationships of father, son and spirit, I might be able to read just a little further. But then they continue to say these three are one in essence, but again, distinct in person. Nope, no, 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 that is not biblically sound. Listen, when they're if they're. One God and three persons. Again, Hebrews one and three that we studied in these past four weeks talks how Jesus Christ was the express image of God's person. Jesus Christ was the express image of God's person, which means he was the exact copy of God's person, that word person meaning the essence of what was hidden and not revealed. He was the he was the express image or the exact copy of the essence of everything that God was. For that matter, in, 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 in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 10, uh, the apostle says that if, if I forgave anything, I forgave it in the person of Christ. It doesn't speak of plurality, it speaks of person. The only person that we ever have throughout God's word is the man Christ Jesus. And it does, ladies and gentlemen, make a person. Difference. Here is the question that you must ask Is Jesus in the Godhead or is the Godhead in Jesus? Because the answer to those two questions are absolutely different for those that try to follow the practices of the Bible and those that are following the doctrine of the Trinity that's been developed historically through time. Because the doctrine of the Trinity, they will say, Jesus is in the Godhead. Mm -hmm. Of course. God, the father, the first person, God, the son, the second person, God, the Holy Spirit, the third person. Yes. You ask us to try to follow the thing of the scripture. Is Jesus in the Godhead? We say no. Because of Colossians 2.9, for in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in the man, Christ Jesus. He's not one of three. He's not one of three. He's the almighty God invested in one. Someone say amen. Now think what this would mean for. Is Jesus in the Godhead? So if the Godhead, if the Godhead is God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit. They're in the Godhead. Then if I were to apply doctrine of Trinity, then reasoning with Colossians 2, nine, that would mean all of them, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Ghost are in Jesus i got three persons that's in a man, Christ Jesus, if I'm following this. You hearing me? Let me ask some questions. Is it? I got to close up, don't I? What's that face for? You ready to go quick? All right. Is Jesus the Father incarnate? Is Jesus the Father incarnate? trinitarian doctrine will tell you no Jesus is not the father incarnate Jesus is the son incarnate Jesus is God the son that person incarnate but oneness we say no Jesus is the father God the father who is spirit that's incarnate in human flesh that's what we say and you know therefore we go you know to places like 2nd Corinthians 519 that God was manifested in the flesh or God to wit that God was in Christ. We go to 1 Timothy 3, 16, that God was manifested in the flesh. But think about it. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, God to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. If we go according to the doctrine of the Trinity, if that isn't God the Father, if that's not God the Father incarnate, but that's God the Son incarnate, then he is reconciling the world only into one person of the Trinity and people are not being reconciled to God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. If that's right, no. We know, according to Scripture, that God was in Christ. And whenever they were being reconciled through the blood of that human flesh, they were being brought back in oneness with God, that spirit that indwelt. Someone say, okay. All right, let me skip some stuff. It's all right. We'll get I'm 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 gonna be here until I die, so you know we'll pick it up somewhere else along the road. Is Jesus the Holy Spirit? According to the doctrine of the Trinity, the Son of God would not be the Holy Spirit. But we say yes. Romans eight and nine, the Bible says this, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that everybody watch this, the Spirit of God. Dwell in you Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ He is none of his So we have the spirit of God Or if you will God the spirit And the spirit of Christ Or if you will God the son In us These are two persons I have God the spirit And God the son In us Is someone with me? But again, according to Ephesians 4, 4, there's only one spirit. How then it can be the spirit of God and also the spirit of Christ? Because God, who is spirit in the beginning, father of creation, came down and took on flesh. And that spirit was Jesus's spirit. Same God. Mm-hmm. Just shake your head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm stopping right here. Are you ready? Matthew 28, 19. Go back to our little baptism formula thing. Here's the question you need to ask. Are you listening to me? Here is profoundly the question you need to ask of Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. This is the question. You listening? This is the question you need to ask. What is the name of the Son of God? Because. This doctrine right here, these people will tell you. They will tell you Jesus. And you say, that's right. Matthew 121. And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name. Jesus. Right? Right. So son is not a name, is it? That's right. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not named either, then, are they? Myth that the son is not a name then that father and spirit things they have no they have no gravity or hold either there's only one name of Acts 4 12 under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and they will tell you if you ask them what name was that speaking of of Acts 4 and 12 they'll say Jesus Christ then you ask then is there salvation or saving in any other name no, no, no. But the Bible says that that son that was born, that Jesus Christ, he was given an inheritance. His inheritance was he inherited his father's name. Yeah. Folks, I said all this to say my title is just the essence of what I've been saying for the past five weeks. It's one God that's ever been revealed in one person, Jesus Christ. God, as Father, was creator, he came down in a function and operation to you and I and put on flesh, and they knew him as Jesus Christ for the purpose of redeeming us because he needed blood, and blood necessitated a body. And whenever he died and resurrected, and of course, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, whatever you plant into the ground, whether it be seed or whatever, it does not come up with the same body that was put in the ground in. You ever put a watermelon seed in the ground? Does it come up, a watermelon seed? Well, maybe within the watermelon, but it has a different form. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he had a body, but not the same body he was invested in the ground with. And whenever he went away, and those in Acts 1 said, and the angel said, why you stand here gazing? Because the same Jesus that went away is going to come in like manner. How in the world? Not as flesh, though, but coming back as the spirit that indwelt him, and he can indwell you and help you with your daily affairs and help get you to heaven one day and see one throne that John the Revelator said there was and one sitting on the throne. We could talk more. Folks, we could talk about uh, in Matthew where he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken thee? We could break that apart. We could talk about the baptism of Jesus, Brother Pat, that you spoke about the other day. We could talk about that. We could talk about Philippians chapter number 2, how he took on the form of a servant after the fashion of a man. So there's a whole lot more we could talk about. But I think you all are just about tip-top through over five weeks. So I'm going to pause and some other time we'll come at it again. And you'll forgot everything I've ever said. It'd be a nice refresher of course. Stand with me tonight. We're so thankful for you being here. To our guests, please uh, let me just put a little disclaimer here. I do not always teach an hour. Only every third Wednesday. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it just happens like that. It just happens like that. I wanted to get finished tonight. Didn't want to try to take this over. But thank you for being here tonight. So, what what have you been given here tonight? You've been given here some things to think about. That's what you've been given you begin given things to think about. One, purely biblical. Another, developed even after this, 300 years before it really came to a terms that everybody could agree on. All right? So you need to weigh those matters heavily in your own life and heart. And here, listen, like, you don't have to struggle and wrestle with me. I'm just a voice. Struggle and wrestle with the scriptures. Struggle and wrestle with the scriptures. Because many people, they're going to go to history for their uh, ammunition, so to speak. But I ask you, why don't we go to the Bible for our ammunition or our proof or our validation? Huh? Who men of old were moved on by the Spirit and wrote rather than just a man with no inspiration that's writing on a page. Huh? Is everybody good? I love you all tonight. I hope that I've provoked your thinking here this evening. Father, I come to you right now. I'm so grateful, Lord, for this group of people. I pray, O Lord Jesus, today that they would, Lord, wrestle with the scriptures, God, that, Lord, many of them would go back even to the podcast and re-listen, Lord, the lessons one through five, and, Lord, digest, Lord, the truths, Lord God, and the language, Lord Jesus, of even the Greek and the Hebrew, Lord God, that is there. I pray, O Lord Jesus, bring a spirit of revelation, Lord, I pray, God, today. Lord, make yourself known to an undeniable way, Lord, and we'll not fail to thank you and praise you because you are God, Lord, all the earth, Lord, creation itself. Declares the Lord your power and your Godhead, scripture says in Romans. God, we claim these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Help us, the Lord, to live and pattern our life after them. In Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Shake hands with a neighbor or a friend. If you- Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter